Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. So glad to be with you once again on another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I pray that you are blessed in the Lord and that you are looking forward to a time that we can open the Gospels and continue our study. Now, before we jump into John chapter 10 on today's podcast, I want to read to you a passage in Hebrews chapter 4. It's a great reminder to us as we look at the life of Jesus here on earth through the Gospels in a chronological order to remind us of what he was about to do. Remember, at this point, we're about, you know, a few weeks maybe before he gives up his life on the cross in John 10. But we're reminded by the writer of Hebrews who said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My friends, what a blessing as we see the sinlessness of Jesus Christ we see his determination. We see his obedience. We're told in Hebrews chapter 5 or 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so as we look at this account today in John chapter 10, today's podcast is podcast 76, and we see this confrontation that breaks out on the Feast of Dedication at the temple. And as you and I look at this, let's be reminded that this is the great high priest. This is the ultimate sacrifice. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world So I just pray that as we look at the scriptures, that you are just encouraged, that your your spirit is refreshed, that if there's sin in your life, that we get right with the Lord, that remember the the Bible's, the power of the word of God penetrates our hearts, right? It guides us, it instructs us. So I just wanted us to be reminded of that because the time that you and I have is precious. And I'm thankful for the thousands of you that listen to this podcast every week, that you come with an expectation, right? That's that's how it should be. No matter we're reading the Bible by ourselves or we go to church, that we open it for God to speak to us. And there's an expectation. And with that comes a reverence. And as we have reverence for the Lord, that we express this passionate, enduring love as we're steadfast in our faith to those around us. So I pray, Lord, that we just, that you just use us as we come right now to your word. Speak through me, speak to my brothers and sisters listening. Father, I don't know 
that there's a skeptic, someone who fell upon this podcast and they're struggling. Lord, I pray for the moms and the dads who are struggling with their kids. I pray for the marriages, Lord, that are represented on this podcast, that you'd bless them. God, that your spirit would move in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that's pretty powerful. I'm telling you guys, I'm just pumped up today. Luke chapter 13 is where we left off. If you go back and if you've missed it, always check out the previous podcast that we have on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all those different places, Google Play. Go to stanstrawministries.org, click on podcasts. I have my study notes there as well. And again, just to remind you guys, please share this podcast, like the podcast, share them on social media, let your pastor know if you're in a small group, whatever, man, let's get this out there. Let's together more and more people study the Bible in its proper context and chronological order as we're going through the gospels. After the gospels, when we finish, obviously we probably have another year. I don't know. But as we finish this, we're going to jump right into the book of Acts. And then as we go through the book of Acts, show you when and where uh, different epistles were written, particularly obviously when Paul was writing, where was he? Where did he start with? Why did he start with this epistle? Why was you writing about this at that time? We'll explain all that in you know later years to come on, on Stand Strong in the Word. So we just want to make sure that when we're looking at the Bible that we take the proper steps of observing what's going on in the text, bringing objectivity, proper interpretation, which is known as hermeneutics. And then as we do that, that we walk away uh, knowing what the text is saying as far as we can as a finite human being, right? Uh, but we apply the truth of God's word in our lives. So leading into this, again, this is one of those key moments when we're going a chronological approach is that in John 10, beginning in verse 22, we're going to pick things up. If you go back a, a few previous podcasts, we ended at verse 21, obviously in John chapter 10, but the last podcast on podcast 75, we were talking about Luke 13. So right here in this particular chapter in John 10, there's a break. Matter of fact, some commentaries, and I tend to look at this, there's actually a break between verse 21 and verse 22 of John chapter 10, probably several weeks. Some people even state some months there, okay? And we'll get a little bit of the indication in verse 22 in a minute. So keep that in mind. So leading up to this in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, he was telling them to repent. And that previous podcast was life lessons that we to, we are to live by. And there's a lot of truth that he unpacks in Luke 13. He talked about the fruitless fig tree, remember? That we're not to be fruitless, but we're to bear fruit. Then Jesus, he goes into the synagogue and he heals a woman. He straightens her up because she's so crippled. And it was a great display of the power of Jesus. Now he moves towards Jerusalem. And here he's remaining dedicated to teaching the people about the kingdom of God that is about to come. So that's where we pick things up now in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 39. This is the Feast of Dedication. Verse 22 says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Literally in Greek, you guys, it carries idea. It was stormy. And so many commentaries, uh, when you look at this, refer to this possibly around the date of December of AD 32. Some said eight, AD 33. But we don't know that. But this is roughly around that time frame. So December of AD 32. And it says here in verse 23 that Jesus was walking. He was walking around in the temple. 
and the colonnade of Solomon. Okay, so a couple things here in verses 22 and 23 in the opening. One is we're told it's the Feast of Dedication, which is also known as, as, as Hanukkah or the Feast of Lights. Now, if you recall, this was celebrated about two months after the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a commemoration of the cleansing that took place in the temple from Antiochus Epiphanes, remember 164 BC. And the person that God used during that time to free the Jewish people from this paganistic ruler was Judas Maccabeus. Now, what happened is when they took over the temple and they got rid of all the disgusting things that he was doing to defile the temple, right, and worshiping other gods and sacrificing pigs, etc. And so when the Jews finally were able to enter the temple, they found some oil and they lit some candles and miraculously, the candles they thought were only going to last for, because they only had a little oil, were going to last for maybe a few hours. They lasted for eight days. Hence the why they celebrate the Feast of Lights, Hanukkah, for eight days. Now notice it says that he was in the colonnade of Solomon. So on the east side of the outer court of the Gentiles, Jesus was walking around this area because it provided covering, this portico. It protected people from the winter elements. But something else is is striking here that I like what this commentary writes. And, and, and matter of fact, this is the legendary Warren Wearsby always gives great insight. He says, this historical fact may bear relationship to the words of Jesus in John 10, 36, for he had been set apart dedicated by the Father, and sent into the world. The Jewish leaders were celebrating a great event in history, yet passing by a great opportunity right in their own temple, end quote. What's Wearsby pointing out here in verse 22 and 23? Well, Jesus is walking in the midst of them at the temple while they're celebrating the Feast of Dedication, remembering, commemorating the cleansing of the temple. What did he do? When he started his public ministry, what's he about to do again before he gives up his life and he goes back to Jerusalem for his final week before he's crucified? He cleanses the temple, but, but more importantly, he is the ultimate deliverer. He's the one he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Judas Maccabeus and they're missing it. They don't get that because notice in verse 24, it says, so the Jews, they gather around Jesus. That means that they encircled, they surrounded, they closed in on him, meaning they cornered him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been cornered, you've ever been bullied by a mob of people. Um, I have to some degree in different situations. Uh, it's not pleasant, obviously. Now, remember these people were looking to kill Jesus. Every move, every word, everything he said, every synagogue he went into is always being watched. And so they corner him and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? In Greek, it means, how long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, remember, it had been a few months up to this point where Jesus had rebuked, and we saw that in previous podcasts, he had been rebuking many religious leaders. You go back to the beginning of this passage in John 10, verses 1 through 21. So these people were very disturbed. They weren't convicted. They were very hardened, and they wanted to entrap Jesus and they wanted to put him down and they wanted to cast him out, right? So they wanted, they wanted a false form of deliverance, if you will. They looked for ways to deliver themselves from Jesus. Verse 25, then, so Jesus responds in this mob-like environment. And he says, I told you and you do not believe. That's pretty striking if you think about it. Now, notice what he says. He says, the works of God that I do in my Father's name bear witness, meaning they provide information to you. 
They give you direct knowledge about me. But notice verse 26, you do not believe because you are not among one of my sheep. Now, many times at, at, uh, you know, leading up to this point, Jesus had confronted the mob. He confronted the religious leaders. He had confronted the Jews that he and the Father are one, that he does what the Father has called him to do. If you go back to John 5, 20 and 21, he says, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. He says in verse 36 of that same passage, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the father has sent me. John 7, 37, 38, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So you see, my friends, the Jews, they certainly did believe that the Messiah was going to come and he would be a great deliverer. As I mentioned before, like Moses or Judas Maccabeus. But as long as they were being enslaved by the Romans, remember, fast forward almost 200 years, they were being enslaved by the Greeks, and now they're being enslaved by the Romans. They're not going to believe in Jesus as long as they're enslaved by the Romans. And so they were looking for physical deliverance, yet Jesus over and over again in John 5, John 6, John 7, here in John 10. And they're saying, hey, how long are you going to keep us in doubt and suspense? If you're the Messiah, show us. And he has been showing them. But notice what he says. It's not a lack of signs and wonders. It's a lack of belief on your part because you're not one of my own. You're not in the flock. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear. That word in Greek means they believe, they respond to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never. In Greek, it carries the idea of they, the, the will indeed not ever. So it's this, this powerful reminder that never, ever, ever will it ever be type of a phrase. Will they perish and no one will snatch. The Greek means no one will gain control over. No one will capture. No one will steal like a ravenous wolf or like a robber them out of my hand. What Jesus is saying is, is when you put your faith and belief in me, when you put your trust in me, you are part of my flock. And it's not just deliverance that you will experience, but great care because of your obedience in me and your trust in me. But these people kept rejecting not just his works, but they rejected him as Messiah. Therefore, they were rejecting him as the good shepherd, just like the Jewish people in the Old Testament were rejecting God as their shepherd, as their provider, as their protector. They wanted things done a different way. Remember, they wanted a king like everybody else. They wanted a monarch, not a theocracy. And right here, they're rejecting all the signs and wonders. They're rejecting the teachings of Jesus. They're rejecting him as a true deliverer. In verse 29, my father, he says, has given them to me. And the one that has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So again, he makes this emphasis of, of them not able to snatch them out of his father's hand. There is no greater power, if you think about it, my friends, than the father's hand. That shows authority and power. What Jesus is doing here 
is he's now showing them proof that he himself is God. He's pointing to Yahweh as the protector and the preserver of their salvation. And now here in verse 30, Jesus says probably one of the most powerful divine claims in all of scripture, I and the Father are one. That means one in essence. What he's saying is the Father and the Son, they're perfectly one, not personally because they're unique in persons, but essentially in divine nature and in actions. So the Jews knew right away when Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one, they knew that he's referring to the Shema. They knew he was referring to Deuteronomy 6, 4, that the Lord God is one. And that's why in verse 31, they, they picked up stones. It means that they were searching for stones to stone him again. So they attempted to do this before, and now they're trying to do it again because in Leviticus 24, verse 16, stoning was a method of punishment for blasphemy. So their reaction right here proves that the Jews understood that Jesus' claim was one of divinity. We're going to see that again in verse 33. Now, let's pause for a moment. There are a lot of times in my ministry career where people will say to me, where in the Bible do you really say that Jesus says, I am God? Just give me the, the passage where he emphatically says that. Well, it's right here. Now, again, we can't look at it in the Western mindset of how we think the claim should have been made in the first century. And there's great authors and great material that go at a deeper level about that. But I want to point out that John 10, number one, is a great passage dealing with eternal security and a great passage when it comes to the divine claims of Christ. The very fact that the Jews, first century Jews, who knew this to be a claim of, of saying, I am God, you can't get any clearer than that, is why they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus, now his response is, I have shown you, verse 32, many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Now, here's what's interesting. You see, in ancient times, if you wanted to shame your opponent, what the speaker would do is remind their opponent of the kindness that they had shown them. It was a way of, again, putting them in their place. What Jesus was doing was that. He was saying, when have I ever been mean to you guys? I've done nothing but good, good works that God has told me to do. And yet you want to stone me for doing good? That's what he's saying to them. And you see their murderous hearts, their intent to what they wanted to do to him. Now their response in verse 33 is, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. There you go. They said, because you being a man, you make yourself God. Right here. We have in the, in the context of scripture, Jesus claiming to be God. Now the Jews were concerned about how he was explaining himself and what he did. But as usual, rather than say, well, okay, maybe this is making sense. No, they rejected his works. They reject his divine claim and they wanted to murder him. And in all places, at the temple. That's how wicked the group of these Jews were. Now in verse 34, this is how Jesus responds. Notice what he does here. He says, is it not written in your law, meaning the scriptures, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, that just means emptied of its force or made void, 
Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? Okay, sounds a bit confusing and it kind of is in English. And let me just unpack it for us to understand what Jesus is saying here in verses 34 and 36. One, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 82, verse six, and he does so to clarify the difference of how a quote unquote little God is being used. What he's not doing is he's not referring himself as a little God. So Jesus is saying, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not just a little representative. I'm just not a little council person or a judge. You see that like in Exodus 21, verse six or Exodus 22, verses eight and nine. What he's saying is, I just declared myself as the son of God. Go back to John 5, 25. So just like judges that were used in their earthly office to bring justice, Jesus is saying is I'm here fulfilling the office as the judge sent by my father. Tasker in his book, he writes, quote, the judges as well as the lawgivers and prophets of the old dispensation, as it is pointed out in verse 35, were those unto whom the word of God came while Jesus is himself sent by God, the very word of God made flesh, end quote. That's what he's saying to them. And he's saying, you're judging me when I'm the ultimate judge. I'm not just some little representative. I'm God in the flesh. Now, verse 37 says, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the Father. See, the Jews couldn't dispute his claims. If you go back to John 3, verse 2, Nicodemus couldn't dispute his claims. He believed that the works and signs that Jesus did, did indeed come from God. They couldn't come from any other source. And so that made sense to the Jews. But when they're looking at Jesus, and, and you kind of think in context at the time, how you can think, how some of them could be blinded to this or wrestle with seeing a poor man who is this rabbi who's uneducated, who's not embraced by the elite crowd, who is not fighting against the Romans. He's not a zealot like that. He's not a Herodian. He's an outcast. And yes, he's doing these miracle working things and maybe they could be justifiable or I wasn't there, but they're still imprisoned by the Romans are still enslaved by the Romans. And this is nothing to their liking, if you will. So you can see how there's a disturbance here. And we're told in verse 39, this is very sad. Again, they sought to arrest, meaning they went to lay hands on him. But this is an interesting phrase that's being used here in John chapter 10, verse 39. He says, but he escaped. In Greek, it means that he, he left, he was able to leave from within their hands. So you can imagine the situation. These Jews are like, no, we're not going to accept you. We just don't get you. It's not good enough, if you will. And so they, remember, they were in a mob-like setting. So they just pressed against him. And, and somehow he miraculously, he comes out of their presence. So you kind of think about that when you think of uh, like, you know, magic skits or something like that. When you lunge towards someone, they just disappear. And in a sense, it almost seems like in the Greek, that's what happened. They kind of charged him remember he's already kind of cornered and out of nowhere just they just kind of like run into each other if you will or into the side of the of the temple and he's gone and they're looking around probably thinking 
what happened to him, probably looking up in the sky. I mean, it's just a bizarre incident. But my friends, before we look at verses 40 and 42, I just want to say this. There are people still to this day, no matter what proof text we give them, the evidence of the resurrection, the reliability of scripture, the proof that God exists, where they use the, you know, the moral law, the ontological, teleological, all these different arguments, these profound, sophisticated arguments to show that there is a God, whether you start from origin or design or whatever the case may be. And there are going to be people who say it's just not good enough. So I just want to say a word real quickly on that. Number one is if God has placed people, and he certainly has, I have them in my life and I'm sure you have them in your life, that are rejecting the gospel. And no matter what you say, no matter what they read, it's just not good enough. You got to get to a point like Jesus is you just got to speak the truth and you cannot take it personally. Because ultimately, and we hear this a lot, but it's so true, their issue is not with you. Their issue is with God. And here you have God in the flesh at the temple on the day of dedication as they're commemorating the deliverance that they sought for under Judas Maccabeus in 164 BC. And here's the ultimate deliverer and they missed it. No matter what he said to them, no matter how he used the scripture, no matter what signs or wonders he did, it wasn't good enough for them. And they're gonna be people like that. And it's sad, but the reality is, is people, some people go to heaven. There are, there are others that go to hell. And so I just pray as you and I study scripture, that with great conviction that we go out there and we make disciples and we go out there and we deal with the skeptic and we deal with people. Now, obviously we have to have boundaries. We got to be discerning. We got to be prayed up. We got to sometimes partner with people to help us engage a certain audience of people that God has called us to do. But there does come a moment when you just have to leave. And in this case, obviously they were seeking to kill Jesus and he miraculously, boom, he's gone out of their presence. Now, the last word here before we end the podcast Jesus goes into the wilderness. So what does he do after this? Well, it says in here in John 10, verse 40, that he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Verse 41, and many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man, meaning Jesus, was true, and many believed in him there. So when Jesus avoids death or when he avoided them arresting him, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to Berea. Now, this is where we're told by John, where John the Baptist had conducted a lot of his ministry. I think this is actually a beautiful thing because one, we know that Jesus loved his cousin and it was a reminder of going to see the impact and the fruit that was still there in this area of many unlikely characters that John had impacted. And they said, remember, this was the person that John had talked about and they believed in him. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek here, that it was implying that the people in this region, they were actually waiting, anticipating for Jesus to show up. And so I leave you with this great promise of something we see just in these small little verses at the end of this chapter. There are going to be people who reject Christ and simultaneously, my friends, there are going to be people who receive him. So I just pray that you and I are reminded of that. I know sometimes it could be gloomy. We can get depressed. Uh, you know, we can become disappointed. We can be sharing Christ with someone and we feel like we're getting nowhere. I just recently was traveling and I was speaking to a group of people who were talking about how many of the congregation feels like they're just, you know, falling on deaf ears. 
We have to remember the love Christ has for these people, the truth and power of his word, and to remember that God wants to use you, but we can't take it personally. Yes, we love these people. We would want to see nothing more for them to come to Christ, but that is not up to us, right? So I just pray that you continue to, to, to remain steadfast, my friends. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Thank you for listening. I love you guys. And until the next episode, keep standing strong. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.